show brought to you by johnpielli.com. What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the ring for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Talk about the past, talk about the history, and talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we can talk about. I would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember. It's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Well, he is out. He's out. That's right. He is out. Look, look at this. Fred is out. And uh, David Mack. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This can run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. Oh, yeah. From the CSB studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, on the MTR Radio Network, this is the Pass Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com. Coming at you live August the 9th, Thursday. We're here on from 5 to 7 today. Got a good show planned. I'm going to have, within this hour, I'm going to have a MTR host of Turnpike Throwdown and Garden State Radio, James Flippin calling in to kind of sound off about the Mets a little bit. Second hour is going to be pretty interesting. I got uh, former Yankees pitcher Tanya Sturts coming on. I got former Cubs outfielder Roosevelt Brown, and also have uh, Manny Moda Jr., you know, son obviously of Manny Moda, and he does a lot with like you know uh, baseball camps and stuff for kids and stuff like that. So that's all going to be in the second hour. But right now we're going to introduce for the first time on the radio on. MTR Radio, obviously a person that's very close to me, and I'm really excited to have her in studio with me, is Alexis Pielli, and that's my daughter. She's six years old, and I'm actually going to get her right on right now. She's right standing in front of me. Alexis, how you doing? Good. You got to get a little closer to the microphone, baby. Good. So how you doing? You, glad, you, you happy to come on? Mm-hmm. So you like baseball, don't you? All right, now what what did you do today? I went to the baseball field. I watched the Mets. Oh yeah, how was it? Good. Oh yeah. What do you what do you like about baseball? I like how they I like I like how they play. They play really nice. They hit good. They do good hits. So what's your favorite team? Yeah. And the Diamondbacks. And why do you like the Diamondbacks? Because it says the Diamonds. Y- yeah, because you're a beautiful little girl and you love your Diamonds, right? Yeah. All right. Now, you also, listen, as, you know, a daughter of me who's an avid baseball fan, you've had a lot of chances to go to a lot of different games. What's your favorite venue to go to? Where do you, where do you like to go see a baseball game at the best? Yeah, the Blue Claws is fun, right? Tell me a little bit about that. They, they have bouncers there and slides and stuff. Oh, 
That sounds great. Now, when you go to, you know, when you go to the games, you know, you're obviously a little kid. You like to get signs. You like to get autographs, right? So tell us a little bit about that and how you get autographs and how, you know, it seems like wherever you go, there's always somebody there to sign a ball for you. Oh, yeah, and what do you, now what do you do? You see a player that, you know, before the game or after the game, and what do you do? I just jump in it and then ask if I can get a sign. <laughs> and what do they usually do? They usually sign it for you? Yeah. Uh, you're lucky because, you know, you know I, don't get a lot of, I don't get a lot of autographs. So, you know, it seems like you do a pretty good job. So you come up there and you're just, you're aggressive and you just go and you get the autographs, right? Yeah. Uh, so you were at the game today. What do, what do you remember about seeing the game today, the Mets game? The red apple came up. And obviously, the blue, you know, the red apple goes off at City Field and did for Shea Stadium. Whatever is a home run, so you got to see a home run, right? Yeah. And what else? Uh, they really did hit really good. Yeah, right. It was fun, right? Uh -huh. And what else do you remember seeing? I saw some people caught the ball. Oh yeah. So what's your what's your favorite thing about baseball? What do you like about it so much? Uh, now, do you like to play yourself? Yeah. Aw. So, listen, you, do you like to play? Do you, you know, you're playing in a softball league, right? Yeah. So, what do you like? Do you want to, do you want to play a lot of baseball? Do you want to, you know, get better? Do you want, do you want to, you know, throw? Do you like to hit better? What do you like to do when you're playing baseball? I like to hit really hard. Oh, yeah? Now, do you hit off the tee, or you like when people throw you the ball, or... Okay. All right, now that's that's Alexis. Thanks a lot for having a couple minutes today. We'll get back to you. You know, hopefully uh, we'll get you back on the show. You know, you could come in any time. So how was how was your experience talking on the on the radio? Good. So you want is this something you want to do again? Yeah. All right. Now tell tell everybody what show you're listening to, and where they could go to see it. What show? What show are you? Were you they listening to? Baseball. And what's the name of it? Sunshine.com. Okay. And what's the name of the show? Basketball show. All right. Yeah, that was great. Thanks a lot, Alexis. We'll talk to you again soon. So yeah, super things going on here. Baseball, obviously today. Mets beat the Miami Marlins, salvaging a third game of a three-game series and got, you know, really first two games did not look good. I was not very encouraged by. And, hey, you get R.A. Dickey out there, and he goes out there and he throws, you know, an absolute gem. And, you know, that's what they needed. And, unfortunately, it really comes down to starting pitching. And the Mets, for a while, have, you know, kind of, kind of been in the dumps with it. I mean, you go in there, you know, you start the second inning and you're down – three nothing or four nothing it doesn't show a lot of encouragement for the rest of the team and you know a team that's looking to offensively stay in the game if you're down you know even even nice the other day you know pitched good for a while had one bad inning and the team is going back trying to battle back to you know for something that they can't do and uh you know we're gonna get in that out a little bit i'm just gonna take a quick break we'll be back uh with a lot of things going on definitely gonna come in with a lot more energy talk to you in a couple minutes
past fall show. Brought to you by JohnPielli.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- Put that in. I don't... So the Tribe drops its third straight on this trip. Six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Talk about the past, talk about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that you talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they wanted to ask you baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember. It's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Randy is where he's out. Yes, Randy is out. Look at, look at this. Randy is out. And uh, Dean is mad. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been running cleaner than any baseball business put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. Oh yeah, Pat's Paul Show on TR Radio Network. Brought to you by JohnPielli.com. Welcome back. Uh, a lot of things going on today, obviously, you know, with the Mets, obviously getting a six to one win. If you follow my blog lately, you'll see a lot, you know, a lot of different things that I've been talking about. And really, a couple of my a couple of my biggest issues or my biggest pet peeves, and I'm going to get into this again just because it's come up over the last couple of days. This crap that people are saying, and and it's happening all the time, and it's 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 just flat out annoying. And the bottom line is, stop blaming the Mets for not trading Jose Reyes last year. I mean, this is something that, in my opinion, is so water under the bridge, so over with and should be forgotten about, you know, and I'm going to get that in, in, that in a little bit. And welcome, uh, once again, James Flippin, host of uh, Garden State Radio and Turnpike Throwdown. James, what's up, buddy? Hey, what's going on, Sean? How are you? All right, man. Thanks for calling in for a couple minutes. How's it going, buddy? Doing okay, you know, uh, driving into the city right now. Uh, I understand you were in the city earlier today. Uh, I'm driving in myself. Unfortunately, I'm going to work, not going to a ball game, but uh, was able to see, you know, on the box score that the Mets finally uh, stopped the slide, I guess you would say, and uh, Andres Torres had a big day, so, you know, also happy in Metsville. Yeah, listen, I mean, you know, even, a, you know, the sun shines on a dog's ass every oh. once in a while. I mean, if you, you know, if you follow, obviously, the way this series has gone, and we were talking about it before. I mean, I think just the, the, the lack of determination in the first couple of games of this series had to be a concern. And, you know, following the last couple, you know, seasons, the way they've ended with the team kind of almost giving up, you're hoping you're not in a situation where it's happening again. And I think there was a lot of indications over the first couple of games that things were kind of going back to that route again. Yeah, well, I mean, I- I think that it's fair to accuse the team and identify them as having quit down the stretch the past couple of years. Um, I don't have enough experience with, you know, really playing out the stretch. 
playing on it on MLB seasons to know, you know, whether or not a lot of other teams uh, kind of don't do that. But, you know, if nothing else, I think what you'd like to see is this team uh, shore up some of the things that have been major shortcomings up until this point, like defense, for example. You know, can they play uh, improved defense down the stretch? Like, can they maybe figure out something uh, somehow, some way to improve their uh, outfield? Um, you know, specifically outfield defense and then obviously production as well offensively. But, you know, more than anything, um, it comes down to me uh, just can you have some pride and can you basically represent the city that you play for and the team that you play for in a way that's befitting of the passion of the fan base. And I think that that goes deeper than just the players. You know, I think that goes to the uh, organization as well. And I don't want to drive the interview uh, towards my agenda uh, right off the bat. But, you know, when you see things come out from the organization, like, you know, Jason May is going to be with the club for the rest of the year, and yeah, he's going to go to the bench, but, you know, we expect him to play against the lefties and everything. Um, it kind of makes me feel like management has quit on the season, and that management's basically punted uh, for the remainder, because I don't understand how, and, and again, maybe this is where I'm asking the questions where I should be providing the answers, but I don't see how you keep Jason Bay around for the rest of the year. And I don't see what the upside is in doing that. And you hear a lot about, you know, well, the, the contract's paid, so you, know, you have to pay him either way. Uh, you know, to me, that's burning the bust on both ends. You know, you got to, you know, hurt your team. Now, listen, man, I agree just about with everything you said. And honestly, I, I can't say I agreed with it all along. You know, when this season started, you and me were bo- both on the, the opposite sides of it where you said, cut Jason Bay right there. You know, I, I thought that wasn't the opportune time because at the time the guy's coming off, yes, a down season, but nowhere near down as much as this year. I mean, the guy's hitting 156 right now. It's ridiculous. That's not a major league hitter. To me, no matter who you are, if you're hitting that for 125 at-bats or more, then something has to change either immediately or you don't deserve his job. Now, I, I was willing to go with, you know, a Jason Bay just because, you know, he's a good character guy. He doesn't bother anybody. He seems to just kind of keep to himself. You know, he takes responsibility for not getting the job done. But I could take it up to a point. I could take him hitting 220. I could take him hitting 240 with, you know, 12 homers and 50 RBIs. Even though that's not what he's getting paid to do, I could accept that because that's better than nothing. And right now you're getting nothing out of Jason Bay. And that's, that's why I've kind of gone the other way with it and said, you know what, maybe it's time that the Mets cut ties with him not just for the organization and the team, but for Jason Bay, too. Because, you know, it's, I mean, it gets to a point where it's not even fair to him. Like we mentioned the other day, you almost kind of feel bad for him because if he's, you know, if he's lost as much as he's shown, then what is he going to do to change it? He's not going to be able to. He's going to continuously be run out there. He's going to continuously be humiliated. And, yes, the fan says, hey, the guy deserves it. Look what he's getting paid to do. But in the end, it's better for everybody if we just part ways here. And I'm, I'm 100% on board with it now. Uh, on your point about the, uh, the organization kind of quitting on its fans, honestly, James, I think it started when the Mets had a chance this year. The beginning of July, there were, there were four, five, six, seven games over 500 hanging in there with one glaring hole, and that was their bullpen. Their bullpen stunk. Their bullpen stinks now. Their bullpen has stunk for the balance of the past two years. There, it couldn't have been any more obvious that something needed to be addressed there, something needed to change there. And that was Sandy Alderson and his staff's opportunity to prove to the fan base that they care a little bit, and they dropped the ball. 
they said, listen, we're not going to do it. We're going to let it play out. And then the team obviously, you know, fell off the face of the earth because of the lack of interest in the management. And here we are. Now they say, hey, we don't have to spend money now because the team's out of the race. That's that's where they first started with it. I think you could add Bay into it. But right now, I'm not so confident in management that they're going to be able to do things the right way for the next couple of years. Yeah, uh, I, I pretty much agree with you. I mean, it's frustrating in that it seems like every time I start to trust um, an aspect of the front office, uh, that trust is not rewarded. With the hiring of JC, uh, you know, Ricciardi and, and obviously Alderson and uh, Di Podesta, you know, a lot of money was spent um, two off seasons ago, uh, basically on the front office here. And you know, you're bringing in a lot of guys who've got uh, varying levels of success in their track record and have been around the game for a long time. And you know, I really like a guy like Di Podesta, a guy like Ricciardi. I'm not really sure what he does, and I don't mean to say that in a disparaging way. I just don't. I don't really know what his role is with the organization. Uh, Pete Benesta seems like he's out there a little bit more. Um, and Joe Alderson is a guy who's very well respected. But, you know, even coming into this year, uh, coming into his tenure as a Mets GM, I should say, I think the jury's kind of out. You know, he had some success with the Oakland Athletics. And, you know, there's debate as to whether or not that was chemically induced. And uh, uh, there was bit. the period with the Padres when I think he made do with uh, a smaller payroll and, you know, kind of had some, had some success there. But, Ultimately, I think it's fair to to consider uh, or, or concern yourself with whether or not this front office has really done what you'd like to see up until this point. Uh, a lot of their success on the field, if, if you can call it that, you know, in the first part of the year, was due to guys that Fulham and I scouted, drafted, and signed uh, as international free agents or as college guys. So, yeah, um, I, I don't know. I, I totally agree with you when you say, you know, that the front office dropped the ball when back in June. Uh, they were a few games out of the division, you know, right there, basically uh, in a wild card spot at the time, and they did nothing to try and improve the bullpen. And really, what started this precipitous slide here, uh, you know, coming right out of the All Star break, even before that, with the series against the Cubs and everything, uh, but that series against the Braves, uh, which you know, just from being a Mets fan as long as you have, John, and I have been too. You know, that that trip to Turner Field is always sort of looming as a potential danger, uh, no matter what the season is. Any time you go back to Turner, it seems like that's when the Mets season goes off the rails. And, you know, it really wasn't any different this year. You know, you're coming out of the All-Star break. You know, you're still right in the thick of things. Second half of the season, hoping things are going to go your way. And you had a terrible series in Atlanta. And a couple of those losses can directly be attributed to the bullpen. And I think that it just weighs on your team's confidence when in this day and age you don't have any chance of getting out out of your bullpen. And that's basically what it was in 2008. And a lot of the uh, aspects of the offense uh, started to struggle in the second half of the year, you know, uh, hitting the runners in scoring position and clutch at bats and everything like that. I mean, the baseball team, you know, it's, it's all different aspects of it come together and they, and they rear their ugly head when things aren't going right. And if your bullpen has absolutely no chance of doing games, uh, it weighs on your offense because you just, you just have to feel like, you know what, i got to get this big hit here. I don't know if we're going to get an oppor- under another opportunity. You know, we're going to be down three runs once we turn around. And I don't mean to say that these guys are actively thinking that while they're standing there in the batter's box, but it weighs on you mentally over the course of the season. And I, like I said, I saw it back in 2008 and, uh, you know, 2012 in terms of the bullpen is somewhat similar. But, you know, one thing I'll say in Sandy Alderson's defense is that uh, John Rauch 
has really turned his season around. And that was a guy that I basically thought was a total waste of a signing, even when it happened. And I basically looked right uh, up until the second half of the year uh, you know, as to whether or not that was the right move. It looked like it wasn't because he was pitching like crap. He's been pitching a lot better lately. But, you know, we've needed a second bullpen uh, lefty from the start of the year. You know, you can debate if you blow in the face. Uh, we'll never really know, I guess, whether or not that impacted the fact that Birdhack's now out with the cheaper uh, shoulder capsule surgery. But you need a second bullpen lefty. Uh, I don't know whether the team goes into the season with just one lefty, and I've done that for a while now, going back to the Pedro Feliciano days. And, uh, you know, you, you, you think back on, on teams that have made it work with a less than stellar starting rotation and, and a bullpen that got them through the later part of the game. Uh, they definitely have more than one lefty. You know, you brought in a Josh Eschen probably too late. Um, you didn't do anything at the June time when you, like I said, were competing. And to echo what you said, John, you know, it seems like every year that the Mets do have somewhat of a decent uh, starting first half, which is, you know, kind of often, uh, they always have some sort of reasoning behind why they're not going to make a move. Oh, we want to see where this is going to go. Oh, we want to figure out where the team's going to end up in a couple of weeks. And they're always waiting for the trade deadline, waiting for the trade deadline. The problem that I have is, you know, sometimes you don't get to the trade deadline impact. You know, that's just an arbitrary date that the commissioner's office, who knows when, set to try to, you know, curb, um, you know, trades beyond a certain point. But it doesn't mean that there's no, you know, in other words, there's no trade minimum. You know, there's no, like, opening of the trade market. Uh, it's not like you have to wait until July to make a trade. And it seems like every year the, uh, the Nets front office kind of gives us this song and dance that, oh, well, we're going to wait and see what happens here. And, you know, we want to do the right thing. And, you know, some of these bullpen guys, John, it comes down to just paying the money and, and taking on a bad contract. And, you know, the Nets should be in a position to be willing to do that. They're a big market club. If they could ever invigorate the fan base in the second half of the season, God forbid, which is when people want to go to baseball games, by the way, not in April and May when it's nasty out, uh, they actually see a increase in their finances. But they just don't seem to get it. They just don't seem to get what it is to invigorate a fan base. And I think they, they struggle to understand how, um, you know, something of that nature can make a big impact uh, on the team and, and on the fan base. And they just they just don't seem to get it. And I, I don't know why that is, but uh, it's very frustrating. No, excellent, man. I, I listen, I agree with just about everything you said. One thing I'm going to add, though, I think the Mets, you know, coming out of the All-Star break, to be honest, particularly in the Washington series after they lost the three straight to Atlanta, I really, I really thought they actually played well in those games. It wasn't, it wasn't like they came out and just totally gave up. They were in two of those games, legitimately could have won, after what happened with the bullpen blowing a couple games in Atlanta. So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like, hey, the All-Star break turns, it's the second half of the season, they gave up. I, honestly, I, that that came a little became a little more evident probably in a week or so after that, you know, as opposed to just immediately because I really think I really think the Washington series, the Mets for some reason this year playing the Washington Nationals, they find ways to lose as opposed to win. I mean, they're out there they're out there fighting hard are legitimately in a lot of games, and not only that, have leads going into the 6th, 7th, 8th inning. And it really comes down to where it seems like everything goes wrong at the wrong time. And you know, imagine where the Mets could be had they had a little better fortune in a couple of the national games, particularly after, this, after uh, the turn of the All-Star break, that three-game series in Washington. Right. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, you make a good point uh, regarding the, the Washington series, and that's sort of really being where uh, things totally fell apart. I guess I'm just kind of placing my own, like, fan reaction on the situation and remembering how I felt about it. And, you know, I, I'm just going to stay true to what I talked to you about off the air, John. When the Mets blew that game on Saturday down at Turner, uh, when it was Bobby Parnell, uh, the inability to get the outs after getting two outs, and you take out Ruben Tejada to put in Zedino at shortstop, and, you know, that was the game that Terry Collins got thrown out of the game earlier, if you remember. That loss was when I knew it was going to be one of those second-half uh, collapses. And, you know, maybe it's just me being a negative fan and kind of deciding that's the one time my emotions just kind of took me to that point where I was totally convinced that this team's done. But it really played itself out that way. And I just think that there's only so many times that a team can come back from some of those heartbreaking losses that you're talking about. And it's, it's just human nature. It's just reality. You know, I, it just it can't be avoided sometimes. Um, and I'm not trying to make excuses for them. You know, I'm not trying to say that they shouldn't be more mentally tough. And, you know, maybe that's where the fact that the team is so young, by and large, uh, comes into play a little bit. Um, and you definitely saw, you know, guys like Lucas Duda and Kirk Newenice, you know, for lack of a better term, just, um, unable to make adjustments uh, down the down the stretch, and then obviously ultimately got sent down Triple A. Not Kirk Nunez is hurt, but I, I don't know. I just I just think that all things considered, the front office had uh, definitely time and, and opportunity to, to do something to improve the bullpen. And you know the other thing is about bullpens, John. It, it, it's not it's not like there's a magic pill out there, or, or that you have to go out there and trade for the next Mariano Rivera. You know, bullpens are kind of a crapshoot. And sometimes just bringing in somebody with, with a different look on their slider or, you know, more of a tilt on it or, you know, their curveball is more overhand as opposed to this guy's being more of a three-quarter motion. You know, that's how you make a successful bullpen is to have some, some different looks up there. And if things aren't working, which ultimately nothing has pretty much for the Mets bullpen this year, uh, sometimes bringing in a guy from an outside organization can make a big difference. I mean, you know, you brought in a guy like Luis Ayala in 2008. He didn't get the job done ultimately, but for a little while he helped. And, you know, that, that's really what makes me kind of just perplexed by the way they, they go about their business um, when it comes to potentially making some trades. Uh, they, they'll give us the song and dance. They don't want to mortgage the future. They don't want to give away too many guys. And, you know, it's about uh, competing over the long haul and not just for this one season. I, I, I hear that, and I agree with it. But at the same time, not all trades require giving up your top prospects. You know, sometimes some minor tweaks, some adjustments uh, can be very effective. And the Mets, for whatever reason, seem unwilling to do that. Yeah, and, I, and I'll tell you, I'm not going to make the whole conversation about this, but I'm going to jump on this one point because I really, I really think that there's a plan with the Mets. And the plan is not to have a plan for the next, whether it was last year, into this year, and in the next year. I mean, coming into the offseason, it looks like they set one day of work. And it was that one day on the, tra on the uh, on the day of the winter meetings when they signed Roush and they traded Pagan for Torres and Ramirez. And they signed Frank Francisco all on that same day. And at the same time, they were already in negotiations with Ronnie Cedeno to bring him in as an infielder. So it looks like right. essentially the front office did one day of work last offseason, said this is the plan, this is what we're going with. And I'll tell you, as a Met fan, the biggest fear you have is them doing the same thing next year, not addressing the outfield, not doing anything to the bullpen, saying we got guys signed. Because honestly, right. if that happens again, it's going to reek like nothing 
that the ownership is telling Alderson and his staff not to do anything, and they have absolutely no money. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, that, that's kind of a, a good point, John, is that sometimes, you know, perception becomes reality. And I think that with the Mets right now, um, we've been told that the Madoff thing is behind us as fans. We've been told that the front office has money to spend. We've been told that's not what holds them back. But, you know, sometimes uh, actions are louder than words. And, you know, up until this point, we're still basically dealing with a historic payroll reduction in the offseason. And at the trade deadline or before the trade deadline or whatever it may be, you know, through waivers, picking up salary, nothing's happened. So, I don't know. I'm kind of forced to believe that, you know, there, there really is still money issues because until I'm proven otherwise, I'm going to believe it. And that's very disconcerting for a team that plays in New York and has very expensive parking, and, you know, they don't give us a break on ticket sales or anything like that. And I'm not trying to be, you know, one of these guys that's impervious to the realities of entertainment. You know, there's a lot of different choices out there, and, you know, entertainment costs a lot, and, you know, going to the game is just one of them. But I just will say that at the end of the day, if if they're not going to do anything, it's just going to get worse, and nobody's going to go after the games, and, and, and they're going to be forced to sell one of these times. And I don't know when that is or if it is ever going to happen, but, you know, the, the more you continue to treat your – and now I'm getting passionate – but the more you treat your fan base like it just doesn't matter, they're going to respond in kind. So, you know, like you said, you don't want to stay on this the whole time, but I think we're pretty much on the same page on this one. Yeah, exactly. 100% right on it. I mean, it's – obviously, if you don't have a product, the fans aren't coming out there. And one thing I actually will give the Mets organization credit for – and I don't, I don't know how much you, you interact with the, whether it's the marketing department or the ticket sales department. I actually think that they've done a very good job this year. They're, you know, they're continuously, as a fan, letting me know what's going on. They've got me game reminders that I got tickets for and stuff like that. I really think from a customer service perspective, they've done the best job that they can. They set up a couple things towards the beginning of the year where they had you know reduced ticket, ticket prices like $5 tickets, $10 tickets. I, I expect them to do something in September similar to what they did last year to have, you know, five and ten dollar seats available. And I, and I unfortunately think just from their perspective, listen, they can only do so much. But I think for what they're doing, they're doing it the best way they can. Unfortunately, they they're not they have no control over the front office and the ownership and their lack of interest in what's going on. But I think I do think, you know, I want to give credit where it's due. And I do think the customer service and the uh, ticket sales and the, the public relations department has actually done a decent job this year. Yeah, no, I think that's that's, that's fair. And I mean, I have had some interaction with those guys. You know, they don't really call me anymore because I basically told <laughs> I basically told them that, you know, if Jose Reyes doesn't get resigned, you can just lose my number. And, um, and which, actually, you know, uh, uh, you know, I guess they, they took that literally. Um, and I'm not even sure how I feel about that one in retrospect anyway. But, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's what's frustrating about it is it's not in all stretches of the word, in all instances of the word, I should say, um, a total train wreck of an organization. But they're trending that way more times than not. And it just gets to be frustrating after a while because in this particular instance, this year, 2012, I don't think it had to be this much of a meaningless second half. I think that if you made a few minor tweaks, you know, you maybe stay into it until late August uh, in terms of the wild card, five games out, whatever it may be, and then you kind of fall off. And nobody faults you for it then. And also, you might kind of have some good feelings carry over in the second, into uh, 2013. 
you know, as it is, this is really just kind of a blah season outside of the no-hitter, uh, which won't be forgotten, and that was great. But, um, you know, they, I, I don't know. I just kind of look at it like they missed the opportunity back in June to do something, even if it was just more of a good faith uh, indication to the roster and to the fan base that they're trying at all costs to, uh, to get some Ws. No, absolutely, bro. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you a little rapid fire with a couple different questions, players, coaches, stuff like that. I'm going to ask you, Andres Torres, the way I look at him, honestly, I think Andres Torres has been the best Andres Torres he could be. I mean, the guy, honestly, John, John Heyman looked at him as a fifth outfielder, and I think he, is, he, he has done the best that he can. I blame the Mets organization a little more for kind of just throwing him into the center field spot, saying this guy is an everyday player, kind of making him look bad because, listen, Andres Torres is what he is. He's going to hit a couple home runs. He's going to hit, if he's lucky, about 240. He might steal a couple bases. And the guy, I'm sorry, is not is not a freaking good defensive outfielder. So he, he is what he is. I actually think that people have been too harsh on Andres Torres because they're expecting him to be something that he's not. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, I, I've been one of those guys that has been very harsh on Torres, but mostly just because he's not, you know, he's, he's absolutely atrocious center from the uh, left side. Except and, for today, except for know, today by the way. What's that? Except for today, by the way. <laughs> he was oh, right, exactly. I know he went <laughs> off today. I saw the update there. Yeah, yeah, so, three for three, you know, double, for triple home run. <laughs> Anyway, that's what I would say about Andre Torres. 
Yeah, and now yeah, you actually segued into my next point, or maybe one I was going to get to a couple points down, is the catching situation. You know, Josh Tolley is essentially a guy put in there. The Mets have said, this guy is going to be our everyday catcher. And I, I actually think they corrupted the organization to a point where they made Josh Tolley be the best option. They honestly, they, they could have done anything to bring, bring an average major league backup catcher in there to potentially compete with Tolley. They chose not to. The only catcher he looks better than is Mike Nickius, who is probably isn't even a triple-A catcher. What do you think the Mets should do with their catching position going into next year? That's uh, a good question. Um, you know, I, I think that they do need to, just for the sake of, again, showing the fan base some kind of, you know, good faith, uh, trying to help the roster out some way, uh, bring in a guy who is a veteran catcher, right-handed batter, uh, doesn't have to be great defensively. If he's solid to, you know, average to solid defensively, that'd be great. Um, but bring in somebody who's batting right-handed and can, and can basically play against lefties. Because if there's one thing we know about Tolley, it's that the lefties will eat him up. Um, and also, more often than not, I, I just don't want to see him out there every day. I'd like to see him in a platoon-type situation. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I thought that the guy, a guy like Ramon Castro, actually at the deadline or, or, or leading up to the deadline, could have been somewhat interesting. Uh, I know that they put some feelers out there to Giovanni Soto. Um, you know, that's a guy who could be somewhat interesting. You know, maybe a guy like Yorvi Torrealba, who the Mets had interest in in the past. You know, He's out there now. Came to an agreement with him. You know, I don't know if the, if the bridge is burned there or whatever. Uh, but he's not uh, working right now. I think he's looking for work. So, yes. you know, that could be an interesting option. Um, you know, there's names out there. I mean, the, the veteran catching contingent, you know, nobody's going to really excite you that much. There aren't that many sexy names there. But I, I think they have to bring in somebody – uh, not so much to so-called compete with Josh Foley or, or push him, because I think he is who he is, and I don't think it's that he doesn't work hard. I think he's just kind of, you know, short on talent in some respects. Um, I think they need to bring somebody in who can split the playing time with Foley. And in an ideal world, you have a prospect coming up through the system that could, that could take his job eventually. I don't know who that is. You know, there's this guy, Kevin Powalecki, in uh, high A, I believe it was, or is, I should say. He was drafted this year. drafted him. He was drafted uh, this maybe year. out of Tennessee or something, but, uh, you know, the guys with some power in the minors. Uh, the Mets, you know, of, of all their minor league woes, uh, position prospects are one of them. They don't have a lot of good position prospects, especially, you know, any, any that are ready to get close to the majors. But uh, catcher is one of the thinnest uh, positions in their system, and it shows. Yeah, exactly. And I'll tell you one thing about Josh Tolley that's getting out there a little bit. You could almost tell Terry Collins is kind of, Get it, getting a little old of the act, too. It's not, and, and like you said, it's not that Tolley isn't trying. It's not that he doesn't work hard. But you can tell against a right-hand pitcher today and in the past, you know, Collins is only playing Tolley because he has to. He's putting him in a number eight spot of the batting order. And let's be honest, is giving him a day off whenever he can. So you could tell even from, you know, Terry Collins' perspective that he would probably want a little more competition. And that's why I think the Mets do anything this offseason – it's going to be to bring in another catcher. It may be somebody along the lines of like what you just said, perhaps a trade or something. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be an upgrade, but there's going to be somebody to share time with Josh Tolley, a little more than Josh Tolley being the everyday catcher and you have a guy that's worse than him backing him up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the, the idea of, you know, let's just throw Nickius up there and he seems like a nice guy and the, and, the, and the teammates like him and all this guy, you know, enough of that, please. Uh, you know, let's get somebody who can at least hit 200 and maybe, 
you know, accidentally hit five home runs a year or something like that. Uh, you know, this is this is where I can be a little bit harsh here, and you know, some people again have, have called me um, unfair towards Josh Foley, and will point to his on base percentage as, as being not that bad, and and I know there's value in that, and I'm definitely an on base percentage guy. Uh, you know, I like that as a stat, um, big supporter of it. I think it does get undervalued even in this day and age. But uh, the guy is not very good defensively, has absolutely no power. Um, you know, doesn't really. Uh, square up the ball all that often to try to become like a line drive type guy, in my opinion, which is what he was advertised as. You know, he doesn't really square the ball up all that often. And I think there's questions as to how well he handles the pitching staff. You know, you see guys get into it with him. You know, I know it's it's possibly a reflection of Warthin as well, because, you know, Dan Warthin does call the pitches. But I just think all things considered, uh, Josh Foley's not really a kid anymore. I don't know how, how old he is, but he's 25, at least 25, 26. He's been in the league for a couple of years. You know, it's kind of established that he is what he is. And in my estimation, he's not a starting catcher in Major League Baseball. No, and you know what? I actually think he would be a very good backup. And, you know, a guy that I kind of reminds me of a little bit who has worked out better as a backup, he was a former Met as well, and that's Brian Schneider. And I actually think that Tolley could become a Brian Schneider-type player, a guy that maybe, mm-hmm. maybe could come up with a big hit when you don't expect him to, but is better suited to be a backup catcher. And I really think that's what's going to end up happening with Tolley. The question is, are the Mets going to go in there and bring in somebody that could actually play every day if he needed to? And that's one thing right. I, I do actually think they will address. Listen, I could be wrong. I mean, I have no confidence in this front office to do anything. But if I had to put my money on a move that's going to be made, there will be another catcher that could play every day if he absolutely had to. Yeah, I think they should. I think they should be looking to, in any way, shape, and form, uh, upgrade their outfield. And I think the catcher is uh, quickly the second priority because, you know, basically you look at it and assuming they're able to come to a long-term long-term extension with David Wright, you know, your infield's pretty much set. You know, Wright at short, Tejada uh, at – I'm sorry, Wright at third, Tejada at short, you know, uh, Murphy um, at second, you know, albeit maybe you try to get somebody on the roster. It could be a late-inning replacement for him as a defensive guy or something like that. And then, you know, of course, Davis at first. Uh, you know, those guys were all relatively young, um, outside of right, relatively cheap. And uh, the kind of thing that you can build the team off of for the next two to three years, uh, hopefully. But they need to upgrade the outfields in the worst way. Uh, they need to get somebody who can be an everyday catcher. I agree with you. And then, of course, you know, pitching is always the biggest concern of any team. But, um, yeah, I definitely think they need to bring in a guy that can start everyday catcher. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm going to actually throw the GM hat on you. Let's say we're going into the 2013 season. Your Mets outfield is? Well, let's see. Um, If you believe what they say and they're going to go with the uh, platoon-type situation in left field, um, I'll say that unless Jordan Valdespin really – uh, spit the bit down the stretch here. You'll see some sort of a platoon uh, with, with Bay and Valdespin in left field. Um, Valdespin, you know, we know can play some center field. Uh, so I think that uh, you'll see him some uh, play some center field. And I think that, you know, it's, it's very possible that they'll bring in somebody to play center field, uh, whether that's a, you know, a Rick Ankeel um, or, or somebody of that ilk. Uh, I think that's what they'll do is bring in somebody who can play center field and um, I think that maybe right field, you know, you'll see somewhat of a, a second chance for a guy like Lucas Duda. 
Um, I'm not crazy about that idea. I think that Luther Stewart is definitely a guy that if he can continue to hit a little bit, Triple A, which he started to recently, um, could be trendy in the offseason because we know he's more of an American League player or a first baseman than he is an outfielder. Um, so I don't know if, if Lucas Dude is safe to make the roster next year, but you know they might give him another chance if he can kind of think, figure some things out in Triple I, I, I don't, I don't really know what they do. I mean, outside of something crazy, uh, like maybe they're able to trade for somebody and give up a lot of talent in the minor leagues, like Justin Upton or something like that. Um, I just don't know what they're going to be able to do or what they're going to be willing to do. Um, as much as their outfield needs an upgrade, I, I think they're more inclined to kind of wait on that and try to uh, see how the free agent market develops a couple years from now or hope that a guy like Brandon Nemo comes fast. Um, and then there's also some other intriguing guys in the, in the, in the outfield ranks in the minor leagues, like a, you know, like a Lon Lagares or something like that. But um, I don't know. Uh, it, it's tough for me to answer that because I don't know what their financial constraints are or what they're willing to spend money on and that kind of a thing. You know, of course, a guy like Josh Hamilton is kind of interesting. To New York City, uh, given his demons, and I don't know if the Rangers would let him go, but you have to imagine that with his injury concerns, slash um, past drug issues, slash basically abysmal second half, that his price might have come down a little bit. So, you know, how's that for a non-answer uh, to what you asked me? Um, it's, it's tough for me to really give an answer to that because. I don't know what they're willing to spend money on or not willing to spend money on, but I think you're not going to see that much change outside of a guy like Andres Torres probably being let go or maybe relegated to the bench and then bringing in somebody who can play center field with a little bit more regularity. Nah, listen, that's, that's not a bad, you know, evaluation. I, I'm going to throw one, one comment about Hamilton. You know, the fact that he has drug issues, the fact that he is on a decline, or at least in the second half of this year, and has a chance to be a bust would make him a perfect fit for the New York Mets. <laughs> because, because, you know, they, they, they have the best luck with, you know, inky guys yeah. contracts that end up don't, doing absolutely nothing for them. Yeah. One, one, guy, yeah. one guy I did want to ask you about is uh, Scott Hairston. Do you think he's worth bringing back for another year I, as far as what he's done this year? I think he's a useful guy off the bench. Might not be a bad idea on a one-year deal for 2013. Yeah, I think it depends on the price tag for him, um, just because I think that he might have outpriced the Mets in, in a way, uh, in the sense that, you know, if, if there is a guy who uh, could be part of, of a platoon hitting lefties, um, you got to count Scott Harrison as some of the best in the league in that respect, regard. You know, he's, he's had a lot of seasons under his belt where he wasn't the starter, where he kind of came off the bench and had a, a limited role, so he's not... You know, that role's not foreign to him. Um, it's not something that he would be uncomfortable doing. Um, I think the Mets with Scott Harrison, you know, they're looking for a little more out of him, you know, more playing time. And, and that kind of exposes him a little bit because it forces him to play against righties, uh, which is definitely not his strength. But um, I would bring him back, Dave, if the price was right. I, I think that he's a good guy to have in the clubhouse. Um, he's come up with some clutch hits for them. You know, definitely crushes lefties like anybody in the business, as good as anybody in the business. So I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, I just don't know if, if maybe at the end of the day uh, it's also somewhat time to fully embrace the rebuilding role. And to me, uh, not to try to, you know, unfairly uh, say anything against Ronnie Stadino, for example, because I think he's actually had a pretty decent year for the Mets, um, I think that means 
doing away with the signings of the Ronnie Zadinos, of the Scott Harrisons, of the, you know, it, it, the time has come, in my opinion, to, to bring up some of these guys who don't really grade out as everyday guys in the major leagues and let them come up and, and get some playing time uh, because I, I'm tired of kind of like half-assing the rebuilding process. And I think that the Mets really have to embrace it. Um, they started to do that, I guess, this year by basically saying we're not going to do anything at the trade deadline. I think they went they overdid it a little bit because there's still you know, ways you could spend money and not prospects. Um, but I think that Scott Harrison, as much as I like the guy, both for him personally and for the team, maybe it's best if he goes to a different situation. I don't really know. Well, here's the way, here's the way that I kind of counteract that a little bit. If you're going through a full rebuilding process, have a plan. And let's be honest, there's nobody, and, and you started it by by uh, answering your out, the, the outfield question. It, it pretty much it pretty much said that there, the answer is not within the organization. They don't have a ton of guys, let's say outfielders, reserve infielders. A, a guy like Aval Despin is going to play in some way, shape, or form. But it's not like the Mets have three, four young guys, like <laughs> really outside of New and Heist and Duda. I mean, I'm... Maybe you may may want to see Lagaris a little bit, but even a guy like Corey Vaughn, a guy like Brandon Nimmo, they're not really ready yet. You're not going to pop them up in the major leagues, probably even next year. So, yeah. I mean, the, the bottom line is you're going to have somebody playing there. And you know what? If if you know if a guy like Juan Lagaris can't cut in in spring training, I don't want to see him run out there just because he's 22, 23, 24 years old. I would rather have an option of somebody that could hit a little bit. And to me, signing Scott Harrison to – Maybe four or five million, something like that, next year, and maybe do that before he hits free agency. I think is something that's going to help, like you said, the clubhouse, and a guy, you know, putting a guy in that's going to give you an option somewhere. I think any outfield, yeah. any outfielder in the Mets organization, if they step up their game enough and get noticed, they're going to play. There's no question in my mind that they're going to play because everybody else stinks. That's the problem. There's nobody out there good. You've got a right field, yeah. a left fielder, and a center field situation where it's totally open game for somebody that could hit a little bit. So, you know what? There's, there's no veterans that are keeping spots for freaking young players. If a young player is going to come in, they're going to get a chance to play here, even with Jason Bay still around, even with Scott right. Harrison potentially coming back. They're not necessarily My. holding them back. Yeah, that, that's definitely fair. Um, you know, and, and I guess you're right. You know, just like I said, Harrison has shown that he can be a bench player and has mostly been one. So we could definitely slide back into that spot if somebody came on fast. Um, I, I just I won't really lose sleep either way if they bring back Harrison or if they don't. Um, I, I'm just kind of I'm so flabbergasted at how terrible their outfield is, John. That I don't even know how to answer that original question. That's it. that's what I'll say to you. You know, no, if there's any reason that Elvis should get paid millions of dollars, it's to try to figure out that absolute mess of what they call an outfield. Yeah, it's pretty much the outfield and the bullpen. You got to figure out what kind of identity it's going to have next year. That's going to take me into my next point. We're going to talk a little bit about, and I want your opinion of on uh, Terry Collins. I don't think he's a perfect manager. I don't think he's a guy that stands out and says, yeah, this guy is awesome. But I also think that he's done a good job considering the half a deck that he's been given. And I really I really think that the Mets should give Collins a chance to stick around through this entire process and at least see what he does when he has a full deck of cards on it, you know, in his hands. 
Listen, I'm, I'm getting close, close to, you know, the top of the hour. I want to thank you for, you know, really giving me all this time, man. A great job today. A lot of great points you hit up on. And, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you sometime in the near future, Gene. Thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. You know, uh, you know the, the basketball show is, is great for anybody who's into baseball. And, you know, hopefully uh, as far as the Nats go, um, you know, things will be turning around quick because I know it'll make you happier. It'll make me happier. And, uh, you know, the basketball show will be a happier place to be. Yeah, and you know what's going to make me happier? Not talking about the Mets in the second hour of the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well said, my friend. Well right, said. Buddy, so, yeah, thanks, thanks uh, We hit the time. It's 6 o'clock. Actually, 6.01. We're going to take a quick break. Be back after this. Mm-hmm. 